0: Let's let's get rolling. We've been in the series on Godonomics, talking about money, finances, same thing, different different name. But the the thing that we're, we're, we're looking at in this moment are these systems and ideas. And really when it comes down to, and I say this about everything, what I care about is what God says on any subject. Because if God said it, since he created all things, he's kind of authority on it. Okay? So I don't try to give my spin on stuff, I try to simply look at it like, okay, in this scenario, based on what the Bible says, what does God have to say about finances, what do we do with it, all of that. And we've been looking at these systems, now there's three principles that are very clear throughout scripture to what God wants for us when it comes to money. We have liberty, prosperity, and generosity. Now these things have been uh, twisted a lot, because number one, first of all, we have freedom. We have freedom to choose. We choose what we do with it, what we don't do with it. Okay. We talked about that in Acts chapter 5 when, when Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sell off their land. It was theirs to sell. And they come and they say, okay, I gave you everything. But it says they kept a portion for themselves. They lied to God. They lied to the apostles. The church was in its infancy at that point. And there was judgment that come. And Peter says, when you owned it, was it not yours? You could have kept it. Nobody made you sell it. And then once you sold it, wasn't the money yours? You, you didn't have to give it. You could have kept it. You could have pocketed it. You could have gone on a great vacation. You could have bought yourself an Xbox. I mean, you do whatever you want with it. It's your money. But why would you lie to God about it? Like, why are you doing that? And that's why the judgment came. And so we see this idea that we have freedom. But when it comes to God, we have freedom in a lot of areas, right? When one gives their life to Christ, is there a rule now that says, oh, got to get up and go to church every Sunday? No, we have freedom to choose there. Why do we choose to do that? Well, there's a principle in place that we should be here. But I mean, we have to when we when we're born again, if you will, we have freedom to follow exactly what the scriptures say. We don't have to because we can't be more right with God than we already are when we're born again, because it's God's work. It's not like if we do all of these things to go to church and, and give money and do this stuff, they're like, OK, now I'm a little closer to God. That's not how that works. We're as close to God as we're ever going to be as far as our, our standing with Him. Now, there's an intimacy level there that might change based off of what we do and don't do. But, but we have freedom to choose. We can really be uh, familiar with God and doing His work or choose not to. I know people that have an obvious call to life in ministry that have ignored it their entire life because they're afraid to step out or they don't want to do it. Sometimes it's the fact that they don't want to leave a very good-paying job to go out there and minister the gospel. Which brings me to the next point, in the prosperity. Because in that idea, we have been told, maybe some of you haven't, but I was, is that if you're a minister of the gospel, you should be poor, as an example. And when I say poor, I don't mean living in a cardboard box. I'm talking about, like, you shouldn't be able to live lavishly. You shouldn't have nice things. Kenneth Hagan, for those of you who know who he was, he's the founder of the school that I attended, talked about, like, a church that he pastored. And this was literally what came out of the mouth of the elders. He's like... God will keep them poor, you keep them humble. That's the way they looked at it. So they were paying him very little. They couldn't afford to feed his family and things like that. I mean, it was it was a bad thing. There's a difference in a church when they cannot afford to pay somebody well and then they won't. There's a big difference there. And so, but that's just one example. We got this idea that like, well, anybody who does well, well, they're just flaunting it. They shouldn't do that with their money. They should, they should be giving emissions. They should be doing this kind of thing with it. They shouldn't have that nice house. How many cars do you really need? I mean, how many homes does a person really need? The question comes down, do we really need a car? Can we survive without a car? We could. It would not be fun, especially coming to church today. But it's doable. We survived without cars before they were invented. Do we need a cell phone? We don't need it. We want it, right? Because for those of you that remember, when you used to run out of gas on the side of the highway, and you'd stand out there and flag people down and hope, right, that doesn't exist anymore. For those of you that had to use a map at one point, you remember those? Wasn't that an adventure? And it all worked really well until there was construction or an accident. And then you had to divert. I remember years ago I was driving from Huntington, West Virginia back to Tulsa, Oklahoma which is normally about a 14 hour drive it turned into 20 because we got stuck in St. Louis because there was a hostage situation and so we decided we're going to exit and find our way back. 14 to 20. How long did we spend in St. Louis? A long time and we were not in the good part of town. Let's just put it that way. Because GPS didn't exist then. We had paper maps trying to find our way around, and apparently we were not good at using them. So those things have changed. Those are things that we don't necessarily need, but that we desire, we want. Okay, let's call it what it is. We don't need cable to survive, but we like it. So we have prosperity in God. Everything that God, Jesus said that I came to give you life, and give you life more abundantly, right? He didn't say, I came to give you life But the rest of your life's going to suck. So just buckle up, buddy, because here we go. That's not what he said. I came to give it to you more abundantly. So there is an element of prosperity. But ultimately, that prosperity should lead to a lavish generosity. Because when your money has a hold of you, you hoard it. You keep it. And I'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But when it is nothing more to you than a tool, you may enjoy some of it. But you are just as quick to give those toys away that you have, the boats, the cars, all of that, and to give lavishly to those that are in need. One thing you'll notice as we continue on here over the next few weeks that it starts when you have little to nothing. And if it doesn't start there, it likely won't start later when you're actually doing well. So we're going to into that stuff later. These three principles, guys, is the basis of everything that we've been talking about. This freedom that we have to be prosperous and to be generous and then we began to look at systems these three different systems right capitalism socialism communism right we're seeing a rise in our country today on the last two the socialism and the communism and when we look at the ideas of which ones of these best fit the three things that God has said you're going to see today how they fit so let's look at the definition of capitalism. It's an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. It's an economic system which largely allows markets to allocate scarce resources through prices, property rights, and profit and loss signals. In other words, that you own it, you decide what you're going to do with it because it is yours, and you can sell it for a premium, sell it at a loss, because the market dictates what you are allowed to do with it. I can stand up here with an ice cream cone, and if it's a million degrees out there, let's not say a million, let's say it's 100 degrees, I'm sta- forget ice cream, let's go with the best summer treat out there, tropical snow, right? I'm standing up here with a tropical, it's 105 degrees out there, it is hot, and that thing looks amazing, right? I mean, it looks amazing when it's cold, too, I'm not biased, and I could, I mean, people will pay a premium to seek comfort, you guys remember a time when bottled water did not exist? You remember that? I remember it. I started the bottled water industry. You don't know this. I know this because I remember it. When I was a child, very young, like under 10 years old, everybody would set up lemonade stands. But I knew that in order to make lemonade, you need lemons or the fake stuff. And you got to go to the store, and that takes money. I didn't have any of that so I started a water stand and I sat outside with the table it was water, 10 cents a glass and people would come up and buy water from me at 10 cents and my father says boy you shut that down you don't sell water, water's free nobody in their right mind will ever pay money for water it's a billion dollar industry thank you father yeah, it's $3 a bottle. Depending on where you are, it's more than that. Guys, I could be driving a nicer vehicle right now, but my father squashed my dreams and hopes. I came up with it. So what, what does that tell you? Just listen to me. I'm obviously very smart. So, um, but, but y- you know, it's like these things have happened because people are willing to pay for it, and that's where this idea comes from. You have the right to choose what you do with it, and here in this case, an industry was created. Now let's look at the next one. Socialism. It's a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. It's a system under which the government owns the means of production and through coercive taxation and wealth redistrib- redistribution allocates resources and makes decisions over property, prices, and production. So in other words, it's trying to make everything on an equal playing ground. Okay? So if you've come up with the idea of bottled water... And you're doing really well with it, what they want to do is they want to take those resources from you and give it to an industry that is not doing well, and that way try to make everything equal. Now, the one thing I'll say here is that we have equal opportunity, we do not have equal outcome. What this is trying to do, and I I gave you this example, is that those who have mastered a craft tend to charge more. Okay? Raleigh Morris, our Jewish missionary, you guys know him? He is a master woodworker, master woodworker. And so he d- puts in cabinetry and stuff. He builds custom-built uh, guitars, things like that. His acoustic guitar that he builds from scratch, he takes every chunk of wood and hand planes it, is $5,000. Right. You better be good at playing the guitar. It's $5,000. I drive vehicles that have cost less than $5,000. But because of the amount of time it takes him, and it is built with the utmost of craftsmanship, people will pay that for because it takes him ridiculous amount of time to do it but you can buy a guitar online for $199 are they the same not even close socialism wants to take away well you shouldn't be able to charge that you should only be able to charge this and these guys should bring it up here we're talking about two different things here that's the idea There, he no longer would have control over that he doesn't get to dictate the pricing the amount of time doesn't matter so what is that gonna do Well, why would I spend so much time doing this and using the finest of woods and mechanics when i can 't charge any more for it then the guy down the thing is using mostly plastic, see my point the last one here is communism it 's a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned, and each person's work and is paid works and is paid according to their abilities and needs it's a progression from socialism, and it's a political and economic system which would abolish private property and give to individuals based on the need. So who owns everything under communism? The government, right? And the government distributes to them as you have need or as you will find out as they want you to have it, if they want you to have it. You see there's all these di- different economic systems. The thing that has happened and this is the part we've missed out. Communism has been tried. Communism is the idea that Karl Marx put out there because it was during the industrial revolution that he was like, "You know what? All the guys that are really making money are the ones that own the industry, but the ones that are working in them they aren't really making any money. That's not fair." Okay? He took out the fact that these guys worked hard to get that and build that up and whatever the case may be, even if they inherited it. Somebody at some point worked hard to earn that money. It belongs to them. It is not yours. It doesn't matter how you got it, unless it's illegal. But it, all that matters is it's not yours to take. And so he didn't like that. So here, we're going to centralize everything, and then we will distribute it as we see fit. And it's this utopian society where everybody will just get along. Right? That's what he's thinking. Then we don't have classes anymore. We don't have a, a lower class, an upper class, a middle class. We're just all the same. All the same. And so that's what he thought. There's one part of this is why socialism and communism doesn't work, and you're going to see this today. Is the heart of man is evil from his youth. We leave that part out. That's what Scripture says. That's not what I'm saying. It's that inside of us is something that causes us to look out for ourselves before we look out for others. What changes that? God. It's the only thing. We might do nice things for other people, but as we've read in the past week, that when you do these things, don't do them in front of people so that they can see you because then you've gotten your reward. People do good deeds, don't get me wrong. But it's the idea that we as a whole can have anything good outside of God. That is anti-scriptural. It can't happen. Now, let's look at a few of these regimes. I'm just going to go through these quickly. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because this isn't meant to be a history lesson. You can look these people up. The first one that we'll talk about in our time frame here in in, in the span of history that we're somewhat familiar with is Vladimir Lenin. He loved Karl Marx. He loved the ideas. He was uh, born in 1879. He died in 1924. He was part of the Bolshevik Revolution, which was the Russian Communist Party. And there was an uprising. This is World War One that we're talking about. There was an uprising of the people taking control of things because he believed that private property rights shouldn't be allowed, that we need to control everything where it is, and by the government, and then we distribute them. And it created, again, it created a, a world war. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's the basics of it. The Bolshevik Revolution, you guys have probably read about that at some point in life, in your history books, I realize this doesn't come up very often. The guy that took over for him is a name that you probably are more familiar with, is Joseph Stalin. Now, Stalin was alive from 1878 to 1953. And he, he was around for a while, but he started the Communist Party of the so- Soviet Union. As I said, he took over after Lenin died, bringing complete control to the state. Now, they did not just take Karl Marx's idea in and of themselves, like, well, let's just apply all of this. They put their own spin on it. So as you begin to look this up, you'll see terms like Leninism and Stalinism. These were guys that started their things. And they said, okay, all we're going to do is we're going to own everything by the government because then we can control it and we can distribute it. Okay. Now, so far, did those ideas seem to line up with the ideas of liberty, prosperity, and generosity? No. Because you are taking away the freedom of the individual to control it in the masses. In other words, it's like, what's good for the group is good for the individual. That's not always true. Now, he called for what he, he called it, It's his atheist five-year plan. From 1932 to 1937, it was led by him, and it was to completely eliminate all religious expression in the USSR. And it was declared that the concept of God would disapp- disappear completely from the Soviet Union in that five years. They were removing God from the equation. Now, why do you think that is? Because the principles of God are liberty prosperity and generosity. So they have to eliminate any idea of God or a God-fearing people because if they do that, they're naturally going to be more generous. They're going to take care of themselves and they're going to stand on the word. And so if we control what's being put out there, then they won't do that. Think about how uh, religious systems have controlled people throughout the years. Think about back into the 1500s and stuff when Martin Luther and his 95 theses rose up that the Catholic Church was doing things that were contrary to Scripture and he finally had enough. But they were charging people for indulgences. Oh, you need forgiveness of sin? Oh, give this amount of money. Oh, your loved one's in purgatory? Well, if you just you know, slip me a $100 bill, I can take care of that. Okay? That's not right. That's not Scripture. And they were doing it. And he'd finally had enough. So that's him. Mao Zedong, another guy from China, 1893 to 1976. He lived for a long time. He founded the People's Republic of China. He was the chairman of the Communist Party in China. Okay? These three guys in themselves, this last guy brought communism to China, complete control. It's still there, although they have begun to... uh, Tinker a little bit with a mixture of communism and a little bit of, of you know, like uh, capitalistic ideas, but the profiteer in that is always the government. But these three guys here are responsible, they estimate, of over 100 million deaths. Over half of them are from starvation. Now, wait a minute. If all the means of production are controlled by the government and we're redistributing that as, we, as they need it, Why are people dying of starvation? They shouldn't be, right? Because the government's going to take care of them, and they're going to give to you, oh, you're hungry, here, have a sandwich. And that's the principle there. But what's happened is these leaders get in control, and how do you control people? Monetary production, number one. Think about this, we talked about this briefly, but in the end times, when the Antichrist rises up, how does he get control over people? It talks about there's a one-world economy, and if you don't take his mark, the 666, if you will, you don't take his mark, then you can neither buy nor sell. What are we talking about? Economics. This is why this stuff is important, because that goes contrary to the liberty, prosperity, and generosity. This does the same thing. Well, there's more than this, because these were communistic leaders. They all have their their forms of it. They take it, and they, they, they put their spin on it. Here's a name that you are familiar with. Adolf Hitler. Right? Now, he didn't live a long time. Well, he lived, he lived a fair amount of time, but he made it through. He started the Nazi Party. Uh, I think I got the dates wrong on the 1934 to 1945. He's a little bit older than that. I just looked at that. Huh? Yeah. Well, you know, hey. Josiah was eight when he was the king, right? Not my son. In the Bible. Nazi stands for the National Socialistic German Workers' Party. I have the, the logo here that you guys have seen. That's it in German. But he was a socialist. He believed that capitalism and communism were created by the Jews. And so he wanted to wipe out any signs of that. Any signs of that whatsoever. Because if, if you can control everything, bring it in. So he makes all these promises. Because of what was going on, they were kind of in a, a, an economic downfall during that time. And he comes and he makes these promises. Here's what I'm going to do. You put me into power. And I'll make sure that you have everything that you need. Uh, Don't worry about that. I'll make sure that your house is taken care of. I'll make sure you can put food on the table, all of that. People start buying into this idea. Here's some quotes from him. If you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. He says, make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it, and eventually, they're going to believe it. And then this was the last one. He said, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. There are other quotes out there, he who controls the textbook, controls the nation, things like that. You've heard those things before. What he did is he had a complete takeover of what their foundation was. You guys realize that the Jews in Germany, there were more Messianic Jews at that point than there are today. What is a Messianic Jew? It is a Jewish person that has found their Messiah in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is their Messiah. It's a fulfilled Jew, if you will. We call them Messianic Jews because there's, we've got to make a distinction somewhere but they believed in Christ and the reason the Jews have been killed for so long is a spiritual thing, yes, but the Jews knew how money operated and many times they were the ones that would loan money to these other countries during times of war and instead of paying them back what do they do? Yeah, we'll kill them. That's literally what happens. Last When Raleigh was here last time, our Jewish missionary, he talked a little bit about that and why that happened. That's why there are all these jokes about Jews having money. All of that kind of stuff, right? They're good with finances because the principles of the Bible are very simple. You have freedom to do with it what you want. You should be prosperous, and then you should be generous. And so this is one that has been out there. We know a lot about him. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but his ideas of socialism was a promise that was made that could never be kept. Now, what does that sound like? sounds like something out of Scripture. We'll get there in a minute. Let's look at a couple more here. Kim Jong-un. Doesn't he look nice? Could you imagine this guy running for office in the U.S.? That picture alone would not get him votes. Like, there's no way. Now, he is a communist dictator. What's that? He's well-fed. Well-fed, right? Or he's swollen, one of the two. That guy right there is responsible for thousands upon thousands of deaths. In North Korea, they are starving right now. I told you guys this story. I, I read this the other day. How you know this is 100% accurate, I'll never know. But he, uh, when he's in the mood for Italian food, he sends somebody in a plane to Italy to pick it up and fly it back. How that works, I don't know. You'd think it'd be cold by then, or maybe he goes and gets an Italian chef. I don't know, brings him home with him. I have no idea. But they're not looking out for these people at all. He doesn't care. They're going to die. You see, we see what happens in the idea of communism and the ideas of socialism versus the idea of capitalism. And you can see it in this one picture. Go ahead and throw this up. This is a a satellite photo taken at night. You see North Korea and its capital Pyongyang, however you say that, and South Korea. Now South Korea is a free country, and they stand on these capitalistic principles. There's a lot of Christianity in South Korea. I flew into South Korea. I I flew into Seoul, as a matter of fact, on my way to the Philippines. And, I mean, you talk about economics. They've got it going on. It was a very nice airport, and Korean Air was one of the nicest planes I'd ever been on. Now, I don't go on a lot of airplanes. Now, look at the difference between this and North Korea. What has caused that? Well, you see, here in South Korea, they have the freedom of production. They can go out there and make something. They can go out there and sell it. They allow the capitalistic principles to where society is going to decide what your service or product is worth based on what they're willing to pay for it. But in North Korea, you have complete control in one place. Yong Yang. Right? That's probably his house. That little speck. Who knows? But that's the only place that there is power. You see, there's a there ideas have consequences. The idea that we should just all pull our money together and just live. This utopian thing is a good idea until it's put into practice. Because the problem is, is the only thing that makes one's heart not evil is God. These people that I just described to you, they were not people that feared God. They could say whatever they want, but their actions did not match that. Now look at this last thing here. This is in Venezuela. Hugo Chavez, you guys know about him. Should have a picture here. No picture okay, I guess i don 't You guys hear about what 's going on in Venezuela right now. Venezuela has been promoted for years as the this is how socialism should work, and Hugo Chavez went in into the early '90s and started to take power by making promises guys don 't worry about this i 'm going to take care of you. Uh, you can trust me. All of this other stuff, we'll take care of the people. And now, every day, people are starving. There are revolts happening. They have hyperinflation going on. That the cup of coffee that you buy today costs twice as much the next day, all because of what they're doing with their currency and the fact that there is not enough resources. And yet, you still see the leaders of Venezuela eating well, sitting in their palaces and stuff. Why? Because they don't care about the people. They don't care. They are looking out for themselves. These are the seven things that co- the Communist Manifesto. So we showed this last week. We'll show it again this week. The abolition of private property, heavy and progressive taxes, abolition of inheritance, confiscation of property of all immigrants, centralized banking, state-controlled communication and transportation, state-controlled education of children. Do we see any of these things happening in our country right now? Better believe it. Because these ideas have begun to be blended here in the last 50 or 60 years. There was a time where you wouldn't have saw this kind of stuff, and we stood. That's why our Constitution is what it is, based off of individual rights, not the rights of the state. That the government has one purpose, and its purpose is to protect the individual rights of these people. And yet, we're not seeing that anymore, we're not seeing that happen. That is why we are not a democracy, we are a democratic republic. Did you realize that our founding fathers were 100% opposed to a democracy? Because it is not ruling of the masses. We are a democratic republic where our setup is, where we have equal power in the three branches and that they are elected individuals that go and represent them. That way, one population mass cannot just take over. That is why we have the electoral college the way we do. Otherwise, areas with high population would make every election whatever they want it to be. Otherwise, there'd be no balance in the states and stuff. That's why we have all of that kind of stuff. Guys, we're seeing this here today. Are these things lining up with the principles of God? No, they're not. You cannot have freedom in that. You cannot have prosperity for the whole in that, and you can't be generous when you have nothing. Go to North Korea and ask them to take up an offering. They have nothing to give you. I was telling you guys the last week, the week before, that when we go to El Salvador, they will give you gifts, which is nothing, fried plantains. That's not nothing. Those are delicious. But, But, I mean, they give you what they have. One of the pastors there gave me fingernail clippers that had a flag of El Salvador on it. And it meant the world to him, right? What would we do with that? It still sits in my truck. I carry it with me all the time. It makes me think of them when I'm driving, and I pray for him every time I see it. You know, I've never cut my nails with it. I don't know if it's any good or not. But, but it, it was like, that meant something. That's what he could do. He was trying to be generous with what little that he had. That meant the world to me. So what we see here are all these principles and all these leaders making all of these promises. Hey, come to me. What do we hear in this country? Every time there's an election, Vote for me and I'll do what? I'll fix this, I'll do that, blah, 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 blah. How do you know a politician is lying? Because his mouth's moving, right? We have to understand what God says. When somebody is making a promise to us, saying like, if you will do this, if you'll put me in power, then I'll make sure you have everything you need. I'll take care of you. You'll never go hungry and all of that kind of stuff. What does that sound like? That sounds like Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he either either hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Remember, mammon is the Aramaic god of finances. He makes promises. If you will do this, if you'll bow down, the devil tempting Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, you look around. All the kingdoms of the world are mine. I will give them to you if you will bow down and worship me. Mammon makes promises that only God can keep. Politicians make promises that only God can keep. God's way of doing things works every time that is tried. But the thing we have to remember is that the heart of man is evil. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. This is right after the flood, right after Noah's flood. In fact, you'll see some of that kind of stuff about the flood this week in the museum. The reason that freedom is a crucial component is because of the fact that man's heart is evil. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. People may start off well, but they get up to a certain position where they cannot be touched anymore, and thus they begin to get greedy. We see that in politics. I mean, follow the money, folks. They vote on things that seem contrary to the character, and then you find out somebody made a massive donation, right? You see it all the time. That happens. You know where else we see that? In ministry. We see it in churches, we see it in these big name ministry where they'll make these promises and they start off good when they're small and they get to a certain point where they're elevated more highly than they should and they think of themselves more highly than they ought and the money is coming in. Why do people give so lavishly to these ministries? Some of it's manipulation, some of it is they're hoping that God will do something if they do it and some of it is that they believe in the work of this man and maybe they've been with him a long time. But they often get to a point where they no longer are accountable to anybody else, and then they rise up and they begin to do these things that shouldn't happen. That's why we see these ministers fall all the time. That's why TBN back in the 80s when it was taking off, and then in the 90s when it completely collapsed, because the guy running it was stealing money. Jimmy Swagger all of these other guys, these names, you could say, this stuff happened to. And the reason it happened is because the heart of man is evil, and they lose focus of where they should. They don't keep their eyes on God. You see, they may be well-intentioned, and they're talking about these political leaders when they start, but without a biblical worldview, you cannot have a pure heart. Understanding that we as individuals have liberties and rights that come from God, and thus we should protect those, only happen when we have a biblical worldview. Read some of the quotes of the Founding Fathers. It talks about how our Constitution was written for only a free and God-fearing nation. And without that, it can never stand. Ask college students today what they think about our Constitution. They say, well, I think it's outdated. We don't need it. It's not outdated. Its principles have lasted the test of time. We have been under one Constitution for over 200 years. The average lifespan of a Constitution is 17 years. And then there's an uprising and the people do it again. The difference is this one was written based off the principles of God, of liberty, prosperity and generosity and more important than any of that is that we fear God and God is our judge and will judges. And so the system put in place by the founding fathers in a capitalistic society, which I'm not saying that we are completely. We were at one time. We're not there now. We blended all of these ideas in here. It's the great equalizer. Because the heart of man is evil. We can choose our profession, whatever we do. We can choose what we want to charge for our service. We choose whether we want to patron somebody or not patron somebody, right? If somebody does something we don't like, we can go somewhere else, if they start charging too much down here for it, well, we'll go over here and get it. And what's going to happen? Sales are going to drop. They're going to have to lower their price or go out of business, right? The second somebody starts to get sideways with us from an economic standpoint, it equals itself out because that balance of power will shift. You saw in the early ni- or the 90s, the tech boom rise up and immediately collapse. And what do we see today? It's back. Amazon. Why are brick-and-mortar stores going out of business all around the country? It is because people want to sit at home. You can order the same thing from your phone, often cheaper. And with Amazon, you can have it in two days or less if you're a Prime member. Right? We used to have to go. Like, if you needed something, for us here in Rockport, it's a beautiful thing, right? Because we don't have a whole lot of stuff. I order stuff from them all the time. Why? Because they don't have to drive to Omaha or drive down to St. Joe to go pick it up. Because they'll bring it to me in two days. And we like that. And let's face it, we're lazy and we're soft. Right? We don't cook anymore. Well, I know you do. In fact, we, uh, we ate some of that this morning, as a matter of fact. But well, what do we do It's like, nah, just go get something somewhere else. Why are restaurants popping up all over the place? Why is it one of our largest sectors? Because Americans are lazy and they're fat. And we like food and we don't want to make it. Right? I'm, listen, I'm, I'm preaching myself right now. I'm, uh, this isn't on you. So we can decide what we want to do. If a person gets greedy, the capitalism that we have, the freedoms that we have, is, well, we don't have to buy from them. Under socialism and communism, you're buying either straight from the government or from where they will allow you to do it. In Cuba, you can have a business if the government will allow you to do it, and you don't get to pick your prices. They choose your prices. And if you're one of the few, then you might get to make a profit. But let's look at this idea of freedom. What does God say about freedom? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So we're talking about the creation event. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, that it is pleasant to the sight and it's good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So picture, if you will, he says that in in chapter 2, in verse 8, that God plants this garden. He's created everything, plants this garden. He takes Adam and he puts him in the garden. And he said, all the trees are beautiful, right? Any kind of fruit that you can imagine, probably stuff we don't even have today. And in there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why does Genesis specify those two? And why would God do this in the first place? Because we know what happens, right? We know what comes next. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and said to tend it and keep it. So he gave him a job and said, I need you to do this for me. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now look at this. He put all these trees, hey, freely, pick which one you want. I don't care. You want pears, get pears. You want apples, get apples. You want oranges, get whatever you want. Probably fruit that we don't have today. Right? And it was all good. It looked good. That's what what it says very clearly. But he says there's one thing that you can't eat, and that's the knowledge of good and evil. And I get this question all the time. If God knew, and he did, that Adam was going to do that and eat of that tree, ultimately started with Eve because it's always the woman's fault, and then she gave it to the man. And so if he's going to do that, why did he put this here in the first place? Why not? Why do you make... This tree that if it's going to do mankind for the rest of eternity and Jesus has got to come and die and fix it all. Why would you put that there? Now think about this. It's freedom. Without that tree, Adam, eat of any tree you want. I'll see you in a few hours. He has no way of disobeying God. Therefore, he didn't make the choice to be obedient to God. It was forced upon him. This is the freedom of God. He had to put that tree there. They had to make the choice that they were going to obey God or not obey God. What did they choose? Not to obey God. So when you wake up in the morning and it hurts to get out of bed, think Adam, it's his fault. It's his fault. See, God gave him a choice. You have the choice to obey or not obey. Without that choice, we're nothing more than moist robots. We do not have free will. We cannot take the choice to follow God or reject God. That's the same choice we have today. We can follow God or reject God. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges. Now look at this. We've got this cycle of sin that goes on in the book of Judges. Okay, good. They're always looking back there like they don't have it. I'm like, I know that one's there. You start up here. Israel serves the Lord. Life is good. We're serving God. Finances are great. Everything's going all right. Then they begin to worship false God. They fall into these sin and do all of this stuff. What happens? Well, God sends judgment. They become oppressed. Then. They cry out, God, we're so sorry. We we shouldn't have done that. We've disobeyed your commandments. Remember, they're underneath the Mosaic covenant. God said that if you want to be my people, I'll be your God. You're going to do what I say. Does that sound okay? Yep, that sounds great. Thus you worship me and me alone, and, and life will be good. So they cry out to the Lord, they repent, and then what does God do? He raised up a judge, the Deborah, the Samson. That's one that you'll know. Okay. A judge means a deliverer. And what happens? They're delivered. And then what happens? They serve the Lord. And then what happens? They're right back there. It seems like every time they get things right on track, you're like, oh, you'd learn your lesson. They didn't learn their lesson. They still haven't learned their lesson. You know what else? Neither have we. Think about your kids. How many times do I have to tell you? I know everybody who's ever had a child has made that statement. I know I'll probably make it three times today. How many times? It's like, how many times do I have to touch a stove before I realize it's hot? Right? Hopefully once. But reality is, probably not once. Right? How many times do you have to be told to not have a blender, a stick blender plugged in when you're trying to clean it? <laughs> if you'd like to see her finger. Why don't you go and wave it at the people. Let everybody see it. There it is. Right? How many times? But this is what we do. God says, hey, I'll be your God, you be my people, you do what I say. Okay, God, we're all in. Oh, and then the second Moses comes off the mountain, what are they doing? They're worshiping a golden cow. Right? I mean, it's like this is the pattern that we see for all of time. Why do we see it that way? The heart of man is evil from his youth this pattern goes on today that is part of the reason why the ideas of communism and socialism can never truly work because no matter what happens that one person that promises I'm going to be the good one I promise I won't take advantage is the one that always takes advantage look at Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 see I have set before you today life and good Death and evil and what I commanded you today to love the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess, so the time of the Israelites getting ready to go. but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely. Perish. You should not prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That both you and your descendants may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. It was so simple. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses is kind of giving his last sermon, if you will. Before Joshua takes over, they're going to cross the river into the promised land. He's like, listen, if you do all of this stuff, you're going to be fine. I've set before you today, life and death, Blessing and cursing. Please choose a life. God's basically babe. Choose this, please. And what do they choose? Not that. Right? I mean, if I put up here, it's like, listen, here before you today, I have a piece of apple pie with ice cream on it. That's the only way to eat apple pie. Or a punch in the face. Choose the pie. Right? We would never choose the punch in the face. But yet we do this very thing that is mentioned right here all the time because we don't follow God's principle. Look at Joshua chapter 24. This is the next book. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other sides of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, Joshua's saying, listen guys, you need to choose. Quit riding the fence, make a choice. If you can't serve Yahweh, the Lord God, that's fine. Go serve them, but choose. He says, as for me, I choose to serve the Lord. You see, this idea of freedom to choose is all about what God is. He never forces us to do anything. He'll never force somebody who does not believe in Him, that has not put their faith in God into heaven against their will. He'll never do that because He's a loving God. And judgment must come. We can choose to accept Him or reject Him. John 3.16, we know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It does not say that whoever God chose to believe in Him and is going to, whether they like it or not. He says, if you choose to believe in Me, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. I said before you, life and death, please choose life. Please, I'm begging you. But we often choose death and we choose the opposite of what God's want. One last passage. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel was one of the prophets. He was a a prophet over the the nation of Israel and he was the high priest kind of thing, if you will, taking care of the people. This was the time where the judges would come in. And people would go to these judges and they would give you what the will of God was and all of this other stuff. And Samuel was a good man. He was a God-fearing man. And so the people were told that, listen, you're not going to be like the other nations. You are what we would call a theocracy but not really. Where basically, whatever God says, that's what we're going to do. God is the one we report to. He had judges that took care of the, the little stuff, but God is the one that we report to. We didn't have a king. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Think of Samson, think of Deborah, think of all those guys. Um, that's what they were. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, that was the town. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains, they took bribes, and they perverted justice. Why did they do that? Because their heart was evil. See, while uh, Samuel was a God-fearing man, these guys didn't. They were in a position of people that would come to them, and what were they doing? Hey, you know what? You give me 20% of that, and I'll take care of this for you. They're coercing people. They took bribes, they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Now, they were supposed to be separated, and it is prophesied that they will have a king. But it's when God lays this out. Here they're coming to Samuel. We need to be like the other nations. Remember, God said, I want you separate from the other nations. I don't want you to be like them. Now, this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people. And all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I have brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me, and they have served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So therefore, heed their voice. However, you should solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. See, these people still had a choice. They had entered into covenant with God, that God was the ruler over them. And yet, coming here, they say, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want somebody that goes out to battle with us and comes back in and tells us what to do. And God says, listen, that's what they want, Samuel. Don't worry about it. Give them what they want. This is what they're choosing. But do warn them. Verse 10, Samuel took all the words of the Lord to the people and asked him a king. He said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots, to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands, and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. And nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like all other nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us, and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to a city. This is the end of chapter 8, what do you notice here? God said, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. You'll avoid my steps. All of that stuff. We read that, right? Here they say, we want a king. We want somebody that goes out before us and all that. And God says, all right, that's what you want. You're making a choice here. But here are the consequences of your choice. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your sons and your daughters. And he's going to take your servants. And he's going to take what rightfully belongs to you. He's going to take a tenth of everything and then some. It's yours. But he's going to take it. He's going to use it for his own gain. And he's going to do it his way. And if you choose this, these are the consequences. And don't come crying to me later. Because you know you have life and death before you. Choose life. But what do they do? They choose a king. That king is King Saul. Saul starts out as a good man and quickly becomes evil. And he does all the things that they say. He took all the stuff from the people. In fact, eventually, that is what leads to the split of the nation, to where you have the northern kingdom, which is evil, the southern kingdom at times that feared God, and they end up in exile over this whole thing at some point. The bottom line here the entire time is they had the freedom to choose. God had told them, to like, listen, you can do this if you want, but I'm telling you, please don't. Adam, I know that tree looks good, and you can eat anything else. Please don't eat that tree. You see, the heart of man is evil from his youth. In these systems, people rise to power unchecked. They are no longer accountable. The one thing that separates America from all the other nations is the fact that our Constitution was written. It has thirty-four percent of Scripture in it. Thirty four percent of that document is straight out of the Bible. You probably didn't know that, did you? Thirty-four percent. That's one third. And the reason it is because they know about liberty, prosperity, and generosity. You read all throughout Scripture, those principles are true. So why don't these other systems work? It is because they are contrary to the heart of man and how God operates. We have freedom to choose. We choose Him or we reject Him, choice is ours. We choose to give, we choose not to give. We choose where we shop, we choose not to shop somewhere else. Guys, the bottom line here is we have freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And we make those choices every day. This is why these principles work. As we continue on in this, we will continue to get into some of the nuts and bolts here. But the bottom line is, as I know there's a movement right now, the Democratic Socialists of America, they're putting a new name on it, but it's the same old thing because there's nothing new under the sun. It can never work. Because these principles, when properly acted upon, is the only thing that keeps an evil heart in check. It's the only thing. And we need to thank God for it. And if you are not thankful that you live where you live, then shame on us. Because, guys, we are afforded freedoms here because we had people that recognize where they come from. If they come from government, it can be taken away. If it comes from God, they can never be stripped from you. Never because it came from Him, the Creator of all things.